Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Peter chapter number one. Amen. Second Peter chapter number one. There's a wedding taking place this weekend with uh, Tyler Cruz and Jennifer Goldsmith on Saturday at three o'clock. Weekend after that, we have National Ministry Conference in Maryville, Tennessee. It's exciting. It is exciting. It's ramping up to be exciting. And you have District Women's Conference uh, in Muncie, Indiana, the weekend following that. Amen. So it's going to be a great, great time. I was looking over the re- the pre-registration list of those that registered and out the door. We got, I know, already 457 men that registered. And so we'll probably get another 150, 200 at the door. So we'll probably be pushing 600 or over. Amen. I told them, though, today, I said, I'm just expecting the other 550 that's supposed to register at the door. But they're believing with me. They said, it's going to happen. And I wouldn't doubt it could. I don't doubt that it could happen. Second Peter chapter number 1. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15 to get us started. My plan is to finish up this chapter tonight. Oh, ye of little faith. You just think because sometimes I spend a whole Wednesday on two verses that it can't be done. Uh, It's not me trying to hurry up or speed along. It's just that how things fit together. So, uh, starting with verse number 12. You can read with me if you have faith. I'm going to complete. If not, you just close your Bible. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. There's that still these things. You remember last week taught about the importance of these things. To put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath shewed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. So Peter is speaking a lot about putting these things in their remembrance, wanting to make sure it gets there before he dies so that it will be there after he dies, so on and so forth. And so tonight, I want to talk to us or teach along this subject matter tonight, established in a sure word, established in a sure word. Amen. Good to see so many people here this evening. Amen. People that we have here tonight. Glad to have Zach Nykirk with us. Good to have Roxanna and Dixie with us. And, uh, and, and Mama, we're glad to have her back there as well. Amen. We're glad to have uh, Adeline with us. I'm looking around. Amen. Different ones. So good to have all of you all. Let's pray tonight. Father, we come to you this evening. God, we're grateful, Lord, for another opportunity to be here tonight. I pray, oh, Lord, help us, Jesus, as we, Lord, look at the scriptures. Lord, we know in them, Lord, is life, God. They are those that speak of you. And I pray, oh, Lord, Jesus, you have to direct our attention. God, here tonight, God, in your word, yet again, Lord Jesus, help us to glean, God, some truths, Lord Jesus, from these words. The lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. 
Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. It's not always the case with uh, every series that we do around here, but it is somewhat the case with this series that one kind of hinges to a certain degree upon the one previous to it. And so uh, if that's you tonight, you might need to go back and catch uh, the podcast for some of the others. But how many here tonight, and I'm not necessarily taking a legitimate poll here, but how many have ever heard a certain Bible passage preached about more than once? Hmm? You never have? You ever heard uh, multiple messages or uh, lessons on or along the lines of the same thing? You ever heard repentance more than once since you've been in church? or baptism, or the infilling of the Holy Ghost, or uh, other topics that we readily go back to, marriage, and uh, concepts about the family, fasting, prayer. You ever heard more than one, one message on prayer, or fasting, or tithing, or the oneness of God, or so winning love? We could go on and on because we all have heard many, many of those subjects over and over again. And when we hear a passage or a subject that we have heard uh, before, uh, that is not for sure, and I'm not saying this because we do this, but if we don't watch ourselves, sometimes we have a tendency to do this. But that is, of course, not the time for us to glaze over in our eyes and be disconnected from what is being said, taught, or spoken, even though it may be the 10th or the 100th, as it may seem time that you have heard that subject. But in that moment when we've heard repentance once, we've heard it a thousand times and we're hearing again, we need to really take advantage of uh, refreshing ourselves with the subject matter of repentance, with that information, you know, reaffirming those things in our own hearts and lives. If nothing more, you know, than just giving a confident amen in agreement uh, with what's being said, because while we're hearing it the hundredth time, it may be the first time that somebody else is hearing it. Studying and preaching is my life, all right? That's my life. Studying and preaching is my life. And yet I even find myself sometimes uh, forgetting a certain aspect about some of those subjects. And so I know if I do, when this is my life day in and day out, uh, that it's going to be the same with everybody that sets before me. And so there are times that I don't remember all the details about one particular subject, Brother Malone, and I might have taught a whole series on it. All right. It's just the, 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 the human nature and the vast information that we have from Genesis to Revelations that is just so overwhelming sometimes. Uh, but as as that may be the case, we still all need reminded from time to time of these things. Won't you agree? Even though you know what uh, baptism in Jesus name may be about, it's good to be reminded again what it's about, isn't it? And so Peter comes out of the gate saying, wherefore, I will not be negligent because doing the things that we've already taught about and that list of verses 5 through 7 and, and how uh, we've been given all things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. All these things that's been taught so far uh, prepares for us, if you'll remember from last week, it prepares for us an entrance to the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. And no doubt, based upon that fact alone, the doing of these things, the practice of these things, prepares the entrance for the everlasting, everlasting kingdom of our Lord. Then Peter says, wherefore, as, as, because of that, he says, I'm not going to be negligent to talk about that and rehearse that in your ears over and over again because it provides an entrance for you. When you practice them, when you do them, it, 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 it provides an entrance for you into the everlasting kingdom of God. And so... He's saying it would be amiss if I quit mentioning them. 
Because those things practice in your life does something for you, not just the here and now, but the there and then. He says, so I'm going to rehearse it over and over. He said, I'm going to talk about it till your ears bleed with it. He says, because I know the benefit that it has for your life. And so knowing that it provides that entrance, Peter says, I'm going to continue to remind you of these things because I want you to have that entrance into the everlasting kingdom of God for your own life. And so these things that he's speaking of that we spoke of last week, again, they are not just applicable to the audience that Peter is speaking to in the moment, but they are applicable to the church of any age and in every age. Peter had made it his mission to remind them. The Bible says he was reminding them of things that they already knew. He was reminding them of things that they had already known, partly because he didn't just want them to know it, but he wanted them to be established in it. He wanted them to be confident, sure, unmovable, steadfast, if you will, in those things that they were speaking about. And even though, even though, here's the thing, even though a person may be fully persuaded and if you want to call it established in a truth today, that does not mean that they should be free of reminders for tomorrow. Because what is the tendency of mankind? We forget. We forget. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 and 1, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. And so with good biblical reason, we hear some of the same messages, it seems, over and over. Some of the same topics and teachings over and over. Because no matter how clear they may be to us, there's always a chance that if we don't have them rehearsed in our ears, that we'll let them slide. We'll let them slip. It's quite apparent even Jesus in his earthly ministry, though he walked among men and women, did miracles, signs, and wonders among them, Brother Pat, turned water into wine, raised the dead back to life again. He knew the tendency of mankind insomuch that he himself didn't want to be forgotten by them. So that's the reason before he ever went to the cross of Calvary and died in that last supper that he had with his disciples, he would reiterate some important things and institute the act of communion that we practice around here normally in the month of of January, he would institute that act of communion before his death because his, his reasoning was this. He said, as often as you do this, he says, do this in remembrance of me and of, of course, the deeds that he had done as well. Thinking of Calvary and the sacrifice that was made, he wanted them to remember that. One would think, who in the world could forget Calvary? Well, those of chapter 2 could because they denied the Lord that bought them. And so with good reason, Peter understands as he's writing here in Scripture, he understands that his death is nigh. He speaks about that. He understands he's about ready to depart, that this tent or this tabernacle, speaking of his body that he is living in, is he soon going to take leave of it and he's going to depart. And so he thought it important to reiterate these things he has already told them. In just a few verses, he stresses the fact, three times as a matter of fact, he says, I'm going to put these things in remembrance concerning these truths. I'm going to put you in remembrance concerning these things. I want it to get into your mind, into your heart, the fibers of your so for number one, number one, all these things that I've spoken to you, he says they are important. Number two, there will always be someone or some group of someones that's going to come and challenge your beliefs or try to deceive you. 
says, I don't just want you to know repentance, but I want you to know no repentance. Because there will always be someone that tell you you don't have to repent. You understand what Peter's saying? Peter's understanding what, what, what is coming or what is even in his day. He says, there's always going to be someone that's going to try to tell you otherwise. So you need to know baptism in Jesus' name. And you need to know it like the back of your hand. I got to rehearse it and retell it to you because there's always going to be someone to try to deceive you. For that matter, number three, if the heretics of chapter two, again, could deny the Lord that bought them, then Peter wants to combat any people, amen, of any age that may come against the people, the Lord Jesus Christ, from them forgetting the essential things that are tied to, as we've been studying, the divine nature of who God is. There is a reference, look at it if you will, in Second Chronicles 24. There is a reference in the book of Chronicles that as long as a certain priest, and his name was Jehoiada, as long as a certain priest was alive, a king by the name of Joash would hold true to the Lord. Joash was the boy who, when he was young, he was hid for six years in the house of God by Jehoda, the priest's wife. Jehoda's wife uh, hid this boy in the house of God for six years. And during that six years, finally in the seventh year, he brought him out in the open, made him king, for he was the rightful king, made him king. And this is what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 2. And Joash did that which was right, in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. Oh. So what that is telling me is as long as Jehoiada was living, Joash was doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He set his heart. You can read the, the, the scripture, Second Chronicles 24. Joash is a king. He set his heart to repair the house of God. That's an honorable thing to do. He gathered money for that purpose. He made a little box that they would deposit money in for the purpose of repairing the house of God. That's a good guy. He restored the house of God to its original condition. It had been broken down by previous kings. Things had happened to it, but he brought it back to its original condition with all the original articles that belonged in it of silver and gold and bronze. So all of that is very honorable things to do. He is mindful of the house of God. He's going according to the will and the purpose of the Lord. But... The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 17, there's, there's a change, there's a shift. Now after the death of Jehoiada, that's the priest, came the princes of Judah and made obedience to the king, speaking of Joash. Then the king hearkened unto them, and they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. So the whole time that Jehoiada, the priest, is alive, Joash does good. When Jehoiada dies, Joash does bad. You know what Peter's saying? He says, I'm going to continually talk about these things while I'm alive. While I'm still in this body, I'm going to just drill it inside of you, all these things. He says, because I understand that death is close upon me. I'm going to die. And when I die, I don't want you to forget what I've told you. Not so much I don't want you to forget me, but I don't want you to forget the truth that I spoke into your life. Amen? So it was honorable that, that, that Joash was a respectable man, a respectable man, and that he had respect to the priest Jehoda. That's honorable. But Peter comes along and wants us to understand. I don't want you to just have an allegiance 
that's going to be given to a man. He says, I want you to have an allegiance that's given to an undying truth. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to push up dirt. He said, but truth's never going to die. So I don't want you to get so lassoed on me and you avoid truth. He said, no. He said, I'm just a messenger. I want you to fall in love with my message. I want you to fall in love with my message because the message that I bear outlives the man. The message I bear outlives me. And it's the message that you're going to need. Someone say amen. It's the message. It's the message. There's been a lot of people over the ages that's carried, if you will, the message of truth. And there's been a lot of them that's died. But truth has never died. Amen? He wants him to have that type of allegiance to truth. Because as I told you a few weeks ago, the way these heretics are going to go in chapter number two is that people that were notable among them are going to turn false, false prophets, false teachers. And what was going to happen, what? They would, they would follow a man that had a reputation, right? And then listen to whatever he had. They followed the man rather than the message. And so Peter wants to get it straight. Regardless of the man, I want you to remember the truth. The truth is to be remembered. Amen. Whenever my name, Peter's saying, is long gone and it no longer forms upon your lips, that's fine. But I want you to remember the truth that was uttered. I want to put you in remembrance concerning these things. So I'm going to remind you, I'm going to drive you crazy. Some of you all probably feel like I'm like that sometimes. Brother McGee, we talk, we've heard about love a thousand times, and we've heard about baptism a thousand times. And blah, 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 blah. Here he goes again. Right? But what I want to happen, see, some of you are going to die before me, but there's some of you going to die after me. And whenever I'm dead, I could care less if you remember Paul McGee. But if you still remember that it takes repentance and baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, then, honey, I'll be smiling in heaven. Because that is where the crux of it really is. Paul had told the church at Thessalonica, he told them to turn. This is his words in so many words. He said to turn from men and embrace God. That's what he was telling the church at Thessalonica. He said you need to turn from the men and embrace God. God who was capable of establishing them. Because the men, the men, they were exposed to, to the men that the church at Thessalonica was exposed to were categorized, labeled as faithless men. He says, but I want you to turn from the faithless men and turn to a faithful God because God has the ability to establish a person. Amen. Just like Peter said, I'm going to tell you these things that you already know that you might be established, right? That you might be established in the present truth. Amen. Amen. Established in it. The word established there means this. To establish means to stabilize by some sort of support to prevent tottering. Uh, you ever seen something totter? Uh, you ever seen sometimes a wind blow? You know, they see even the tall buildings and it's structurally sound from that they have a little so many inches of flux. That's tottering. He says, I want to establish you. I want to support you. I want to bring some things, some aids in that can support you that will prevent you from tottering. Because the New Testament also talks about people that are blown about with every what? Wind of doctrine. Uh-huh. Peter says, I know the winds of doctrines are going to blow. He said, but I'm trying to get you established in this present truth right now to help support you. 
so you won't totter. Amen. Isn't that a great word, totter? It's almost like tater tot, but it's not. It is... It's the same word, that word for establishing, it is the same word that's used whenever God told Peter after his failure. He said that when you have come back, when you are converted, Peter, I want you to strengthen. It's the very same word, establish. I want you to strengthen the brethren. In other words, Peter, after, after your failure of denying me and all that, I want you to come back and I want you to support. I want you to do something for the brethren that will keep them from going where you went. To keep them from tottering. It's the same word that Jesus used in the book of Revelation when he told the church at Sardis. He said, strengthen, or if you will, establish the things that remain. Because the things that remained, they needed the support so that they wouldn't fall. They needed the support so they wouldn't be blown over or totter. And so Peter is writing. He's writing for them to know these things. And he wanted them also to be supported to prevent them from swaying. Someone say amen. Because a bend is just one step away from a bow. Huh? I, I'd have to go back, and I, I don't know, I have time to do it because that just kind of flipped in my mind right now. But if we go back to Daniel 3, I'm not, someone have to check me up on this, okay? I'm not sure if they did not say we will not bend or bow. In Daniel chapter number 3, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Because a bend is just one step away from a bow. Just look into it. I might be totally off. Amen. Brother brother Zach, check it out. If it's wrong, let us all know. But regardless, a bend is still just one way from a bow. Amen. Nevertheless, and so, so we didn't want to sway. We need that support. We need that guidance. Because, again, we are prone. We are prone to forget in our Christian experience. I know it would seem like it's so good, you know. It's like a rainbow of Skittles that you wouldn't forget that. But we have a propensity to forget in our Christian experience. For that matter, here's here's a newsflash. We have a tendency to grow cold. We have a tendency to grow indifferent toward the things of God. When Peter said, I'm going to stir you up by remembrance. Whenever he said that, I'm going to stir you up by remembrance. That meant that he would literally stir them, that he would awake them from their sleep. We're not talking about they were taking a nap, but in a spiritual way, they'd gotten into a little lull. They'd gotten, if you will, a little indifferent toward the things of God. He said, I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to wake you up from your sleep. Oh, Brother McGee, yeah, we we become asleep in Jesus, and I'm not talking about waiting for the rapture. We become asleep in Jesus. It's while the ten virgins, both wise and foolish, the Bible says, while they slept, the bridegroom came. Amen. That's the reason why the Bible admonishes us in the New Testament scripture of Romans. It tells us very plainly that it's high time for us to awaken out of our sleep. For today is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Why are they saying all this wake up stuff? Because we have tendencies to forget. We have tendencies to be lulled to sleep. We have tendencies to be calloused. To grow cold and indifferent. And so Peter, in this very moment, he was combating a group of people. He was combating this sleep. He was combating this slumber that can happen. Amen. Sometimes it happens involuntarily. It just happens. Huh? Sometimes we're not purposefully watching and praying. Amen. 
and it happens. Or sometimes it happens because we've been faithful for 20 years. And where we've done anything for 20 years, you kind of just get used to the flow of things. Huh? Don't have to real give too much minor concentration to it because I've done this for so long. Peter says, I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to bring it to your memory because I need to stir you up. I don't want you falling asleep. I don't want you becoming indifferent to the things of God. I don't want, because you've been in the church for 25 years, that you loosen up on some of the very precepts that got you to where you are. He says, I'm going to keep talking about this. Because listen, what happens? How many of you sat in a chair at the house and he's like, you fell asleep and someone wakes you up later and said, what's your deal? What are you? you know, it's in the middle of the day. So Man, what, what are you doing? And their words sometimes is this. Well, I just got comfortable. Because getting comfortable is the first step, the precursor to falling asleep. I don't know. Too many people said, boy, I went to sleep last night being uncomfortable. No, you'll toss your turn. You'll do everything else until finally you might just get just enough comfort to fall asleep. Because comfortable is the first step to falling asleep. Peter says, I got to keep you aroused here. I got to keep you awake. I can't allow you to get comfortable. Amen. Can't allow that. The Bible says because when we do that, we'll forget things. When we do that, we'll leave some things undone. When we do that, we'll ignore some things we know that shouldn't be ignored. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8 and verse number 11, amen, it says, this is in the Old Testament. Here's the Lord again. He don't want to be forgotten. Don't want them to forget. He says, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments. Just for the sake of, of, of drawing something out, I'm going to just take out the phrase, the Lord thy God. Just set it aside for a moment. Beware that thou forget not in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. In other words, it's conveyed right here that the evidences of forgetting the Lord are seen in us not keeping his commandments, statutes, and judgments. He says, the way that I know that you forgot me is that you're not keeping the things I've told you you should keep. Beware that thou forget not in not keeping his commandments. He says, the way that I know that you started to find a little lull and you're a little indifferent is because you're not doing the things you used to do. You're not being faithful to some of the things you used to be faithful to. Verse 19, now look at this. Verse 19 of the same chapter. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods, how in the world do you get to that? Well, when you stop keeping his commandments, his statutes and judgments, you're just one banana peel from serving other gods, you know. He says, if, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, he says, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. Amen. The Lord was giving them a guarantee that if you forget me, you forget my precepts, as Peter was saying, if you forget these things that I've told you that's going to provide an entrance for you into everlasting kingdom someday, if you do that, he says, it's bad. He said, what that equals is perishing. What that equals is not a profitable outcome for you if you forget the things of God. That much more than Peter then is saying, I'm going to remind you. Why? Because I don't want you to perish. For that matter, there's no need for you to perish. Can I say today, there's no need for anybody in the world to perish. 
In reality, there is no need for it. Because he's given us everything. He's provided everything we've been spoken to. We've been reminded over and over again. And so he wants his hearers to avoid, amen, avoid perishing, avoid, if you will, for that entrance to be closed to them because they didn't continue to practice the life that they at one time had received and been given. Verses 16 through 18 of 2 Peter chapter number 1, Sister Rhonda. (laughs) For we have not followed. Uh, you're going to be more one to pick on tonight. No. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, Peter says, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He is transferring to refer to the Mount of Transfiguration right now in the Gospels. For he received from God the Father honoring glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. And when we were with him in the holy mountain, there was Peter and James and John that went up the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord. Amen. It's there that they saw Elias and they saw Moses. And, and then there was the booming voice from heaven that spoke those words that Peter is recounting right here. Peter, James, and John, their faith were to the ground but when they lifted up their heads the Bible says it was Jesus only that's all who was left there matter of fact that's the place if you'll remember where Peter said Lord let me make three tabernacles one for Moses one for you one this it's just good for us to be here Lord and so he he starts to pan over this way but he starts out with verse 16 telling us that they have not followed some cunningly devised fable when they made known unto them the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Peter is doing right now in this moment is he is setting his hearers, those he is writing to, up for the next few verses to close out this particular chapter. He's setting them up for the next few verses that are about the word of God. He is affirming, he is confirming that the power, and notably, verse 16, the first coming of Jesus Christ He has been an eyewitness of the Lord's majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration because people doubted the first coming of Jesus Christ just as much as they're doubting his second coming. And he said, it's not so. There's not going to be the Messiah. He's not going to come. A lot of people even missed his time upon earth in shoe leather because they were in disbelief about his first coming. And so Peter is just trying to affirm that, hey, he did come the first time. I seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration. I seen his garments glow and glimmer and a voice from heaven speak. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I was there. I, I was an eyewitness, not just me. James and John was there. And there were others outside of the Mount of Transfiguration that knew him to be the Messiah. Amen. We know that he came just like the prophets of old said he would come. He was that babe that was born in Bethlehem's manger. He is that one. He is. We know it for sure. We've heard his voice. Amen. We've heard the voice of heaven speak concerning him. And notice Peter uses that word. He says, we Look at it. He says, we have, we have made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter's not saying this is a me against you all type thing. He says, there's more than just me that's seen and heard this. Huh? He said, there's a good constituency of us that's seen and heard and can verify that he came the first time. Let me tell you something. You're not the only one that believes in baptism in Jesus' name, repentance, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. There are millions 
And I say again, millions, there is an us to this thing. Amen. That have been experienced, have experienced his glory and his power in that fashion, as the Bible says. He says, this is not me against them. This, this is us against them. There are others that have made the same claims. He said, for that matter, the apostles and the prophets of old had spoke about it, preached about it, taught about it, written about it. And so here is, is Peter. He's preaching along with the other apostles. He's preaching along with the other prophets. And he's saying, everything that I tell you Peter is saying he said it's not a fable it's not a myth it is not fiction everything that I tell you it's based upon bona fide fact he said me and others were eyewitnesses of his majesty and he goes on to say we even heard some things we were ear witnesses we were eyewitnesses and we were ear witnesses man if there was ever something that was to verify anything in scripture it's if you had an eyewitness and an ear witness concerning whatever it was that happened He said, we were eyewitnesses and we were earwitnesses. The Bible even says in Hebrews 2 and verse 3, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. He said, it was confirmed to us by those that even heard him. And so Peter is underscoring the reality of Jesus' power and of his first coming. Amen. So that he can uncover the reality of his second coming. Because remember, these people that he's dealing with right in this moment, they're saying there is no second coming. The Lord's not coming back. There is no day of the rapture of the church. It's not going to happen. Peter says, I stand here right now and I verify and I protest that he came the first time. And just like they didn't believe then, there's those that are not believing now. But it's not going to change his coming nonetheless. Oh, God. Honey, if no belief in a certain thing then just made the thing lie low and die in the ground, there would be a lot of things lying low and dying in the ground. But belief doesn't change truth. Amen. Belief doesn't change truth. My age-old little little thing, we have to, a few people in here got pink on. Look, Mike, over here in this nice pink shirt tonight. Isn't that handsome on this young guy? Hey, man, this pink shirt, I could tell you all day. I, I could tell you, Sister uh, Malin, that this shirt right here is black. It's black. I can be convincing and conniving and somewhat deceitful to try to lure you in to say, Malin, this shirt is black, to try to you join sides with me that this shirt is black. I could give all kinds of maybe uh, little factoids, other things that would be trying to prove or even get a group of people with me that we are the people that believe this is black. See, this thing is black. Right? Let's say I persuade Malin. Poor gullible Malin. Let's say I (laughs) persuade Malin. She's like, you know what? That thing is black. But the fact of the matter is this. It doesn't change the truth that it's pink. I can get everybody in here to believe perhaps it's black, but it won't change the truth that it's pink. What I'm saying is this. I don't care who says he's not coming back, who says it's not going to happen, who says it's some far-fetched fable or myth. It doesn't matter. That doesn't change truth. That doesn't change it from happening someday. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's still going to take place just like he said it would. Peter says, I want to tell you things over and over again. Why? Because it's truth that I'm telling you. Not a fable, not fiction, not a myth, 
not a lie. Who cares if someone says, well, I don't believe that. You don't have to believe me or believe that. Truth stands all by itself. It doesn't have to have belief and support in order to stand upright. I just don't believe what they do over there living 21 years. I just don't believe. That's fine. That's fine. I'm just standing, standing, standing on the promises. The worlds were framed by the word of the God. By the word of God, the word of God is good enough for a structure of my life. Peter, he's done talking about all this. He's talking about how he was a witness of it, ear witness of it. There was others with him that were, many denied his first coming. He came nonetheless. Although some recognized it, some didn't. But he's using all that as a setup for those that are in denial about his second coming. He's using all that as a setup for those that are in disbelief about his second coming. Here's the thing. Many of the prophets of old, Old Testament scripture, told of his first coming. And many of the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. We know there's several, I mean, several upon several that were fulfilled when Christ came the first time in Bethlehem's manger. But the same source Meaning the word of God. Of course, at that particular space backwards, as Peter's writing there in Second Peter, he's most notably speaking of the Old Testament scriptures, of course. Much of the New Testament not have been put to paper. Or scrolls. <laughs> but the same source, the word of God, that told of his first coming, also spoke and speak of his second coming. Even Old Testament scriptures so he leans in on verse 19 he says though I've given you some type of validation or affirming of his first coming because of my experience he says we have in verse 19 also a more sure word of prophecy in other words he says you don't have to take my word for as an eyewitness and an ear witness He says, you just need to take the word for it because it is the more sure word of prophecy. Look at verse 19, Sister Rhonda. Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Hearts, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of men or man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Everybody say amen. amen. Peter says we have a more sure word. He said the more sure word is not the word of even some man's experience, but of the word itself. Because all Scripture, listen to me, all Scripture is capable of being considered prophecy. 
I know whenever we see the word prophecy, and that comes up in our little English lives, we typically think of prophecy as something that's, oh, it's a foretelling or a foretelling of something that is going uh, to come to pass. But prophecy also means speaking forth or of proclaiming a message. So if prophecy is speaking forth or of proclaiming a message, then that encompasses the totality of Scripture. All Scripture then is prophecy. It might not all be foretelling and foretelling, but it is all proclaiming a message. It is all spoken forth. It is all inspired utterances of the ancient prophets and the ancient writers that were written down as scriptures for you and I. And the second place that we get tripped up in the scriptures here in these last three verses is whenever we start to talk about interpretation. Mm-hmm. That there is no private, the scriptures of any, no prophecy of the scriptures of, is of any, verse 20, private interpretation. Because when we talk about interpretation, we start thinking about, we start thinking about explanation, Illumination, revelation. We start thinking about all the Asians. <laughs> Amen. But literally speaking, the word interpretation means untying or loosing of Scripture. Scripture says it's of no private, or if you will, it is of no personal interpretation. Meaning, <clears throat> just as the Scripture has it, its origin, its origin as verse number 21 points out, its origin was not by the will of men, but the result of the Holy Ghost. When we talk about the scripture being of no private interpretation, of no private untying or loosing, no private, if you will, initiation or beginning, we are talking about it's the origin of scripture. The untying or the loosing of scripture or the untying and the loosing of interpretation was by the Holy Ghost. Didn't happen by men. Happened by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God, the Bible says, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were moved. It means that they were born alone as, as though a ship that is carried by the tide. Huh? <laughs> Set that little, set, you, you know, take even just a little sailboat as a kid, put it out there on the lake. You don't have a motor. Don't have a rudder unless it's plastic. No operable parts per se. But you put it out there. A little wake from a real boat go by. And those ripples come. And what happens? The boat moves with the ripple. <laughs> now someone might say, look, the boat's moving. But reality. <laughs> the tide is moving the boat. People get confused. Look what that man wrote. No, no, no. The man is being moved. <laughs> He's not riding. The spirit is riding through the man. No, no prophecy of scripture. No prophecy. No proclaiming of the message. No, none of this from Genesis to Revelation is, is, is of any private or personal unloosing or untying. No, it's all by divine will of the Holy Ghost. The tool and the equipment were the men, but the power and the origin was the Holy Ghost. 
that's the reason why Peter says, I have, we have no sure word of prophecy than these things of the Old Testament at that time that I speak to you. Because these are not the inventions of man. These are not something that a man has formulated in his mind and heart. No, what I give to you is the heart and the mind of God. What, oh yes, what I give to you is something that's inspired. It is God breathed. And that's what you want to lasso around. That's what you want to tether your life to. You want to tether your life to the eternal word of God. You have a man say something, let him tell you a good story. But all that are man's words and they're temporal and they'll die with the man. But if you get tied and tethered to the eternal word of God, honey, heaven and earth may pass away, but his word's going to stand forever. The grass may wither, the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord... No sure word. He says, I want to establish you in that sure word, that eternal word. Hallelujah. Amen. Many writers, one author. It is a more sure word. It is a more reliable word. Peter says it's a more reliable word than the words that I'm speaking to you about what I experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration because it's divinely inspired. And my personal experience, it's just, it's just humanly conveyed. I, I'm not necessarily being moved on by the Spirit while I'm telling you, but, but the Word of God is divinely inspired. People were moved by the Holy Ghost when they wrote and when they spoke that Word. So Peter says, I can, I can affirm and confirm to you the first coming of Christ. My experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, I saw him, I heard the voice, all of that stuff. He says, but what I'm telling you, he said the word of God had already declared it. He said the word of God had already declared it. The word of God, he said already, it has a heavenly origin and he wanted them to know you can trust the word when the word speaks. And when the word speaks of the second coming of Christ, he says you can trust the word because it has an eternal divine origin. It's not a myth and it's not a fable. We need to get back to the place where we can just take the word at its word. Huh? We can take the word, Sister Deborah, just at its word. I don't, need, I don't need an Apostle Peter to show up and tell me about his experience because he's just going to tell me something that the word already had declared. Why is it that we need somebody to validate the word? The word's valid without me validating it or not. But that's where we live today. Oh, you got to explain it. You're going to do this. You know, tell me the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. Just let the word be the word. Face value. It says, fear not. I wonder if it means maybe just on Tuesdays and Thursdays. or you know. Bishop used to tell us all the time, there's 365 fear nots in the scripture. So I guess that's you for every day of the week for a whole year. Amen. Someone say amen. Now look now. Look at verse number 19 again. We're going to do it. <laughs> We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Peter said you'll do well 
or you'll do right. You'll do correct by giving heed or paying attention to that word. Now, here's where we tie things together from other verses and scriptures. The Greek word that's translated in our English Bibles, the phrase take heed. That word means in the Greek to have in close proximity. He says, you do well that ye take heed or that you have that word in close proximity. Think back with me now. Verse number nine. A couple weeks ago. Remember, he told them about practicing those things and keeping those things. He said, if any man lacketh, you remember that the word lacketh, it meant not to keep close at hand when you do, when you lack, then you're going to end up blind and cannot see afar off. Remember spiritual myopia? Huh? You remember all that? But here's he's telling us, if you'll keep these these things in close proximity, he said, you're going to do well. You're going to do right. You're going to do correct. Because if you don't, what happens? If you look back again at verse number nine, those who were lacking kept those things afar off, became blind and could not see afar off. They forgot. They forgot Calvary. They forgot that the Lord had did something with their sin. Remember that? He said, but if you keep these in close proximity, he says, we're not going to have to worry. I'm reminded you as I'm alive, I'm going to remind you. Hopefully my word's going to still be in your ears, reminding you whenever I die. What is he wanting to do? I don't want you to forget. The word, the phrase, take heed, it was also, the word that it comes from was also a nautical term, meaning to hold a ship in a direction. What does that mean? Just keep you just directed toward your destiny. Just hold it in that direction. Because see in chapter 2 that we're going to get to next week, all these heretics that I've been talking about, they're going to be the people that, that didn't hold in a direction. Folks, this life that we live isn't just about starting well. It's about finishing well. He said in the gospel, you did, did run well, but who did hinder you? Sometimes it's not even a who, it's a what. Uh-huh. So it's not just about starting well. It's about finishing well. That word they were to give attention to he says in verse 19, was like, he's making a, 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 a similarity here. He said it was like a light that shines in a dark place. Man, that's my word. That's my word. It's like a light that shines in a dark place. The word dark, not just conveying a darkness, but it's also conveying it shines in a dirty place. It shines in a miserable all the meaning of that word dark dark dirty miserable place it's like a light boy if that's not the word in today's world it's like a light that shines in a dark dirty miserable place the psalmist even said in psalms 119 105 he said thy word is a what lamp unto my feet and a what a light unto my path the light of the word now notice now he says it's a light that shineth in a dark place look at verse 19 until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. The light of the word is necessary until the day dawns and the day star rises. If you go to the book of Revelation, you will read how Jesus said that he was the bright and the morning or the bright and the day star. <laughs> the, <laughs> he was the bright and the day star. The word of God is essential to take heed. Or to keep in close proximity until the day dawn. 
burns and the day star rises. What are you saying? You need to keep the word of God close to you until this thing is over and the day of the Lord is at hand and he comes back and gets his church by rapture. You need to keep, oh yeah, you need to keep the word of God in your heart that you sin not against him. You need to keep it close. You need to keep it at hand until he says, well done, that good and faithful servant. You don't need to lose your grasp. You don't need to get fickle. You need... He says it's as a it's as a light in a dark, dismal, miserable place until the day when we say no more, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, until we get to that place wherein the Lamb is the light. Oh yes. Oh yes. Amen. <laughs> And closing, stand with me. Jesus instructed Paul, who had just saw actually the conversion happened to him. He said, Saul, I want you to take the word of the gospel to the Gentiles. He told him this in Acts 26. So I want you to take the word of the gospel to the Gentiles. Why? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. What's he telling him? He said, man, keep that thing close proximity. Take heed to it. It's going to bring light to darkened areas, to dirty, miserable areas. Again, if you look, listen to me. When we look at, at Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the five wise and the five foolish versions, right, that are what? Awaiting for the bridegroom, right? And they take lamps. And some take vessels with oil in them and others do not. That separates the wise from the foolish, Correct. So they take their lamps. This gives us a lot of sense because they are waiting for what? The bridegroom. And so they go with their lamps. They're waiting for the bridegroom. And the reason why this is important, because it was custom that Jewish weddings were held at night. And you need a lamp. Woo! At night, it was essential for whenever the bride met the bridegroom. It was essential for when the bride would meet the bridegroom. That's the reason the Bible says the bridegroom is tearing in Matthew 25. They all slumbered and slept. But finally, the call was made. He comes, and there's some scrambling around to get their lamps. They had extra oil, and they was able to fill theirs up. But others didn't have extra oil. And they said, go in the city and buy whatever. What? That's a bad time to be in darkness. When the bridegroom shows up, he says, you want to take heed to the word, which is as a light that shines in the darkness. Why? Because, honey, we're getting ready for our marriage. We're getting ready for our wedding day. And you want to have your lamp trimmed. You want to have it full of oil. And you want your light to be bright at that union of the bride with the bridegroom. Listen, I don't want to be led for a point here. You say, well, Brother McGee, that's fine, but that's not me. Bless God, I'm in church for 25 years. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah, amen. I got this. Again, if the parable is bears true to life, again, while the bridegroom tarried, they, everybody say all, wise and foolish, slumbered, and slept. And what tells me, Sister Jessup? It doesn't matter who we are. No matter what our label is. 
Doesn't matter our status in the church. Doesn't matter how many years we've been saved. According to the parable, we are all prone to slumber and sleeping whenever we're waiting for his coming. But if we will be obedient and give attention to this God-oriented, this God-origined word, it'll help get us to our god Appointment by rapture, if not by death first. Because in this word, it's prescribed already. The destination, the path, and the event. It's already spoken it. And it's an established sure word. And I can depend exactly on what it says in the pages that are between that leather binding and taped up side. <laughs> My special edition. <laughs> I can, I, can, I can stand on that. And so as Peter told them of his day to establish them in that sure word, I tell you today, and I'll tell you again, and I'll tell you again. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm just saying the same stuff over and over. Why? Because I want you to be established, supported to prevent you from tottering. I want you to be established in that sure word. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads all across this place tonight. God, I come to you this evening. Can you help me pray right now? God, we cry out to you tonight. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, help us, Father. God, no doubt this is just another means of keeping your holy word, Lord, in close proximity to us. God, it's just another means to make our calling and our election sure. It's just another means, oh, God. God, it's another means, oh, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, to help us in our walk and our talk. God, we are prone, Lord, to forgetting. We are prone, God, to waxing cold. We are prone, God, that I love, Lord Jesus, would fail. We are prone, Lord, to sleep and to slumber and to growing comfortable, Lord Jesus. We are prone, God, to all these things. And so you sent messengers of old and you send messengers of now that are heralding your word that are preaching your word teaching your word over and over Lord we say it we teach it Lord God we, we have small groups about it we do all these different things God we teach home Bible studies about it over and over because people got to be established in this and more than just a knowledge they got to be established in this God I want the support system of your word to hold me Lord so I won't sway I want the support system of your word God, to firm me up, God, so I won't bow or be. And I want the support system of your word, Lord Jesus, to keep me, Lord, on the right track. God, you are coming again. You came the first time. You're going to come the second time. God, there were people that were amazed the first time. They will be amazed the second time. But, God, I want to be ready. I want, Lord Jesus, to watch. And I want to pray. I want to have my lamp, Lord, trimmed and my fire lit. I want, Lord Jesus, to be awaiting your coming. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, today, God, be with your people strengthen them anoint them empower them Lord by your word their words to live by words to die by words to hold our very eternity in them Lord Jesus and we love and appreciate God this great personal word of God in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen and the church say amen hallelujah hallelujah Remember, thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.